We've been doing the seven letters, uh, which are the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Um, and so we are on the seventh letter today. It's to the church of Laodicea. And if you got your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read that final letter that Jesus himself wrote to the church in Laodicea, starting in verse 14. I'll give you a few moments to turn your heads to the screens. <laughs> it's technology, right? All right. A few things that we've been kind of seeing in each of the letters we've been seeing where uh, we've, there's a breakdown kind of each letter. Jesus has a description of himself. There's usually a combination. There's a rebuke, a solution. There's consequences of disobedience. And then there's a promise for the conquerors. That's kind of the same theme we've been seeing in every single letter. So let's get into this. Let's pray first, actually. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God. And Lord, we are just privileged and honored that you call us by name. That, Lord, that, uh, God, you reached in and pulled Josh Hester out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, you reached in, you can search your name there, pulled you out of darkness. And so, Father, we thank you that you're continuing to draw us to yourself. And, Lord, and as we are with you, Lord, um, God, we find the fullness of life. Lord, your word says, in you we live and move and have our being. And we thank you for your word today in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. And the angels of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your works. He knows our works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold! Exclamation point. So because you are lukewarm, say lukewarm, We'll explain that in a minute. And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see, verse 19, to whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Hear that, church? To those he what? Loves. So be zealous and repent. Final few verses here, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to, to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. Let's break it down. Let's break down what the description of Christ, the commendation, rebuke, solution, all that stuff. So the description of Christ, we've uh, together we've read where Christ, um, he, uh, there's different, he just uh, describes himself differently in every single letter. It's very interesting. So in this letter, he describes himself as the amen, as the faithful and true witness. Praise God for that. Because do you know that there's going to be an accuser? of the brethren that's going to accuse you, and you have a witness, right? If you've ever been done wrongdoing, 
and somebody accused you of wrongdoing, but you have a witness that says, no, I didn't do that, you need those in court, correct? Christ is our faithful and true witness. So when the enemy is going to be accusing us before the throne, we're going to have, we're going to have a good lawyer on our side. It's Christ. And it says, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, the, kind of, the commendation, which is like the word of encouragement, didn't give one. <laughs> he just went right into the rebuke. It was nice when you get the nice little sandwich. We talked about that. Have you ever had to like bring a correction to somebody? You know, they teach you if you're to bring a correction to somebody, what you do is you sandwich it. Have you ever heard of the sandwich method? You give them, you say something nice about them. You tell them something you like about them, something that they're doing well. Then you slide in that rebuke or that correction, and then you finish it off with, you know, how you love them, how they're awesome. That's it's called the sandwich. Well, we've seen in some of the letters that Christ did the sandwich method on the church, but not here. He just minus the bread, went right to the meat. Bam, right to the rebuke. So there's no commendation. There's no, hey, you did good in this, but nope. It's just like, we're going to get right into it. The rebuke was, uh, he told them that they had spiritual blindness, that they were bankrupt, naked, and lukewarm. That was the rebuke. Um, the solution that he says, you know, in order to take care of this, what you need to do is buy gold, white garments, sell for your eyes from Christ. Like, buy these from me. Be zealous and repent. Now, the interesting thing about um, Laodicea is Laodicea is a merchant city, and they did. They had a lot of wealth. And so it's very interesting that God, when, he, when, when he's speaking to people, he speaks to them on their level. So like when Jesus, when he's out there and he's amongst the fields and he's teaching about fields and wheat to farmers, and then when he's speaking to the Laodiceans, those are merchants, and he's speaking to them about gold and, and clothing, and isn't that interesting? I just think it's just a little side note for you to put on your side, so it's cool. Um, and then the consequence of disobedience, he says, he will spit them out. He's going to spit that church out of his mouth. Now, interesting, we don't really do it in our culture, but in other cultures, um, to spit on the floor is, is like a sign of disrespect. And if you've seen it in like other cultures or other, other maybe, maybe older movies, like if you were to have a disagreement with somebody or somebody that you really disdained, they would like be having this time and they'd go, Tool, and they'd spit. Because that, that was a, a sign of, of dishonoring them, disrespect them. So Christ is going to spit. <laughs> That's nuts, huh? That's crazy. And then the promise for the conquerors is, it says that we will dine with Christ and will be granted to sit on his throne. Wow. Wait, what? I think that's probably the greatest promise in all of the letters. Like he gave, like he gave all of these other promises talking about, you know, that they're going to have a name, you know, a name written on them and he's going to, they're going to eat from the tree of life and all this other stuff. And he says, oh yeah, if you overcome and you do this, you're going to reign with me. <laughs> wow. I'm glad one person's excited about that. The rest of y'all like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I have a hard time managing my time. You want me to manage the kingdom of God? <laughs> All right, let's break into uh, some of these verses. Uh, there's one that was a little bit challenging or troubling in my, uh, so I, I'm going to actually spend a little bit more time on that because I think we, it's going to debunk a common belief system. And it's right in verse 14. When Christ is explaining himself and he says, I am the, I am the amen, right? He says, I'm the faithful and true witness. And then it says this, he says, 
I am the beginning of God's creation. Now pause that for a minute. Now people will take that phrase and, and it, well, they, don't, they, they already have done it. There's lots of, of people who have a misconception. They have that, they, with that phrase, and there's, a, there's another one that we're going to get into, and they say Jesus is a created being. He said it out of his own mouth. The beginning of God's creation. Like, so so it, what it is, it's a misinterpretation of an explanation of Christ. And so we're going to get into this, right? So the beginning of God's creation, now that actually word uh, beginning in the Greek means the origin, the leader, that which anything begins to be and the active cause. So, so the beginning of God's creation isn't saying that he was like the first one created. It was actually saying, no, he's the one who created. Okay, He's the one who began God's creation. So I think the, the, the people, are mis- they've misinterpreted this thing. And so they think that, that Christ was a created being, that Christ is something that we can achieve, that Christ is the brother of Lucifer and blah, 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 and all that other garbage uh, that, that brings Christ's authority down. Because that's what the enemy wants to do, right? He wants to eliminate the, the authenticity of Christ's authority. Because if we know who Christ is, then we know who we are in Christ, and then we walk in the authority that Christ gave us, right? Do you get this? So he'll dumb down. Isn't it interesting? Listen to me, friends. Isn't it interesting that God's name has now become a cuss word? You don't hear people cussing Buddha. You don't hear people cussing Muhammad. You don't hear people cussing uh, Bob Barker. I mean, because none of those names have authority, right? When was the last time, you know, that somebody was like, you watched a movie and they're like, oh, Bob Barker. They don't care right? But why has Jesus Christ's name become a cuss word? Why? Because it has such authority and such power that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. So the enemy has done an absolute good job of bringing Christ's name down to where it's now become just a cuss word. This wasn't in my notes, y'all. This is a little little extra. The The caffeine's kicking in. The beginning of the creation. Now, we're going to give a reference to this because this is going to explain it all to, actually to us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18, talking about Christ. It's going to get there on your screens. You can write it down. You can turn there if you want to, if you want to highlight it. But this gives us the understanding here. So, so check this out. It says, he is, uh, verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. Say Jesus. Nudge your neighbor. Say Jesus. Nudge him. Make sure they're awake. Nudge your other neighbor. Say, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. There's that phrase again. Right? The firstborn of all creation. But then it goes on to verse 16. See, this is why you got to understand. Scripture, if scripture, if you don't understand scripture, scripture has to interpret scripture. Okay? The problem is, is people interpret scripture of their own authority, and then they misinterpret scripture. You, we, we use, okay, listen to this, friends. This is, this is good. I'm teaching guys good uh, hermeneutics here. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. Say this with me. Say, I interpret Scripture with Scripture. Okay, so if you just read that one, oh, he's the firstborn of all creation, then he was created, he's a created being. All of a sudden, no, listen, okay, you read that, now read the rest of it, because the rest of it's actually going to uh, explain the first part. It's just, it's just worded in, in a way that maybe we don't, quite 
understand. It says, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and in, uh, visible and invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So pause that for a minute. It just told us that he was not a created being. He created everything. You see that? So you're like, so then what does the firstborn of all creation mean? It doesn't mean he was the first one created. See, and what happens is, is, is you got to understand by reading the rest of it. No, he's saying that being the firstborn of all creation is like he is the firstborn who did all of this. And so when it's using the word firstborn, maybe we're, we're looking at that like a firstborn child if we're a parent. But I think what's, what's going on here is that Paul is trying to, sometimes people are saying things to try to give a picture of something. And so if you don't understand uh, Jewish culture, the firstborn had the authority of everything. So I think Paul's trying to picture, give us this picture by using that word firstborn, by, by letting us know that he, it's not like he was the firstborn son, but no, but just like the, the reign and privileges of a firstborn, that he is supremely reigning. It says in Psalm 89, verse 27, talking about David, it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of kings of all the earth. So sometimes words are descriptive and they don't necessarily translate correctly or, or, or we misinterpret them incorrectly because we're interpreting it through our culture. Does it make sense? You guys with me still? Cool. So I wanted to take a lot of time to just debunk the false interpretation that Christ himself was created because he was not. Christ said himself, I am that I am. <laughs> right? Nobody, no other, listen, friends, no other prophet, no other, no other Messiah, no other person has claimed to be God and then wasn't found in their grave. Right? So, Boom. You're in the right church, friends. <laughs> You're in the right church. You're in Christ's church. All right. So that's all that. What, we had to break that down. Okay, let's go into verse 15 and 16 here. And so in verse 15 and 16, he's kind of given the rebuke. He's calling them lukewarm. He basically says, You're undrinkable. And, and he says, he, he says, I'm going to spit you out. Now, when I think of lukewarm, I don't think of like a cold, refreshing drink. You know, now it's now. A lot of times we interpret um, cold as being like you're cold for the Lord. Hot means you're hot for the Lord. How many of us interpret it that way when you read that? He says, I wish you were hot nor cold. Only, am I the only one? Am John the only one? Okay, hold on. Pause for a minute. Listen to me, friends. When you read the book of Revelation, if you've ever read it, maybe you skip it because you're like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> and he says, I wish you were hot or cold. Uh, we, we, in a modern day sense, we, we kind of, we, we take that as you know, he, he, uh, Christ is saying, I wish you were cold, you know, like, like, like out there. I wish you were hot, that you were serving me, right? Don't, isn't that usually how we, 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 we interpret that? But I just want to challenge that because I think that too. But I just want to challenge it. Why would Christ wish that people were cold, though? Like, why would, like, so, like, why would, he, why would he wish? Yeah. He didn't say that he didn't say that the cold he had spit out of his mouth. He said the lukewarm. So think of it like milk. This is just my thought. This is just thoughts. Can we have thoughts? 
I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rebrand a new indoctrination in you or any of this. There's just a thought of scripture. What if it's like milk, right? When it's cold, it's good. When it's hot, it's good. When it's set out on the counter, bleh. What if, what if it's like that? What if, what if it's like, what if he's saying, I wish you were cold, you're a nice refreshing drink. I wish you were hot like some tea. But you're not, you're neither. You're in that spot that's disgusting and nasty and filthy. Just a thought, right? Yeah, see? Yeah, who likes, yeah, good thinking. Yeah, it's a little different. You know, I like to challenge, you know, our thoughts sometimes, you know, so it's just a good, just a different thought. So, so what if it, so he says, but he says this, he says, you're lukewarm. Basically, you're undrinkable. Have you ever put something in your mouth and you're like, ah, and you spit it out? Nasty, right? Could you imagine being a people that Christ himself would say, no, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with you? Whew. That's rough. <laughs> and why, why was that? It was because of their thought process, which we're going to get into in a little bit here. So Christ himself says, you know what? Um, nope, don't want you. Spit you out. Um, and he said that, your works are mid. <laughs> he said, I know your works, right? Isn't that lukewarm? Lukewarm is mid, isn't it? Hello? Yeah, yeah. It's in the middle, right? Like, like you have like terrible, you have like amazing, and then you have mid. <laughs> so it's like hot, cold, lukewarm, mid. <laughs> He's saying your works are mid. He says, I know your works. They're lukewarm. They're mid. Man, we, you know what? I think somebody in their amazing intellect should come up with a, a Z, uh, Generation Z translation because it would say stuff like that. It would say, your works are mid, bro. Like, <laughs> 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 yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So, and he says, he says, your works are not right in my sight. Right? They're not right. And why were their works not right? Because in their own hearts, they said, listen to this, friends. They said, I am rich. I am not in need of anything. What happens when we come to a point where we are not in need of anything? We become self-sufficient. Right? Isn't the whole uh, Christian faith is us being completely, come on, relying on Christ? And if we come to a place in our spiritual walk or our walk of life where we are so self-sufficient, we're like, you know what? I don't know if I need that. I don't know if I need him. I don't know if I need that. Then what happens is then, then friends, then it starts becoming self-works. And friends, that's scary when it becomes self-righteousness. That's what the problem was. They said, they thought, they're like, we're rich. We don't need anything. We're good to go. We're good. And, it was, and he's talking to the church, right? He's not talking about people that weren't serving Christ. The church was like, man, we're wealthy. We're good. We're, you know, keep, you know, like, give that stuff to people who need it. We're good to go. And Jesus said, nah, fam. <laughs> this is the thing, friends. Christ sees us in our true spiritual state. That's verse 17. You say our perception. I am rich. We all have a perception. But Christ will always see our true state. And he saw the church in their true spiritual state. They said, we're rich. We don't need anything. We're good. And he said, no, you don't understand. You actually are poor. You're wretched. 
you don't see clearly, you're blind. And you're naked. And what he was doing is he was challenging all of their thoughts of themselves. Because, like I said, again, the Laodicean, they were merchants. So they had lots of gold. They had lots of wealth, you know, like clothing and stuff. So it's interesting that when he, and then it's so interesting because also Laodicea was a place, I guess they had this special salve that was known for, for like ointments and stuff like that of their time. So isn't it interesting that Jesus in the rebuke is telling them to buy gold, to buy clothes from me, and to buy salve because he's challenging that mindset that they would have. We don't need it. We got it already. No, you don't. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. I'm glad. I bet a few of y'all are feeling it. <laughs> you say I'm rich. You're wretched. You can't hide behind your money. Jesus sees our true spiritual state. And when he seen, he saw that they're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. And then he goes on. And I, I was talking about this. He was saying, buy gold from me, white garments from me, sell from me. What is he saying? He's saying, friends, in order for you to truly have true riches, which aren't of this world, you need to invest in the true resources from heaven. You need to invest in the true resources from heaven instead of the earthly ones. Now, this is really interesting because um, he tells them first to buy gold. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter says that your faith which is more precious than gold, is being refined in the fire. So isn't it interesting, the, the correlation of him telling them to buy gold, and it's not really him just saying, you know, go buy gold. No, he's saying, you need faith. You need faith that's actually more precious than gold. You need faith. Tested by fire, more valuable than gold is what it says, your faith. Instead of boasting about your wealth, you need genuine faith, which is more valuable than material wealth. That's what he's telling them. Wow, huh? And then he tells them, he says, you need to buy white garments. Now, we know, friends, that we can't clothe ourselves, um, you know, in our own, you know, our own righteous deeds. But in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 8, it says that they all had white garments when they're standing before uh, the lamb, and, and the white garments, what they do is they represent the righteous deeds of the saints. So he's saying to them, he's saying, you know what? Uh, you put your value in wealth, you need to put your value in faith. You put your value in, in, in the material possessions and, and, and the merchandise and all this other stuff, but what you really need is you really need to have true clothing, which is righteous acts and deeds. Are you getting this? And then he goes on and he tells them that they need to buy salve. And again, I told you, like, it's interesting because that was like one of their marquees of, of, their, of, their, of their city, of selling, selling these type of bombs that would um, like fight infections and in eyes and blah, 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 blah. Now, that's why we're named Vision Church, because we got a bunch of people blind out here. <laughs> like, seriously, like, really? The scripture says, and it's it, uh, the foundation of, of the verse that, that, that we... Um, built our church on was where there was no vision, the people perish. So we wanted to see people stop perishing in order for that to happen. People got to have vision. We got to be able to see, right? Uh, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. But friends, we need to have see. We need to be able to see. We need, to, we need the Lord to remove the blinders. And sometimes we, we look on only external ways. And, and even as a, a Christ follower, it's very 
easy for us to still look from an external standard. I love the fact that God rebuked uh, Samuel. <laughs> I don't love that, but, but I love the fact that it shares that in Scripture because it shows you that a man of God, which not single one of his words fell to the ground and it calls him uh, you know, one of the greatest prophets and all this other stuff, that he had to be corrected by the Lord by saying, you're looking from the outside, the Lord determines the heart. And when he was looking at um, the son of Jesse, the oldest son of Jesse, he was like, look at this stud. This has to be the new king of Israel. And he said, no, he's been rejected. And then he rejected all of them. And he was like, do you have any more sons? Because I know I didn't miss it here. The Lord told me to come, come here. It's like, yeah, I got this one guy. He's out there with the sheep. Well, go get him. And the Lord said, that's the guy. And so, I, so to me, it's encouraging because I see I see a man of God who's before the thing, and he's still missing it because he's looking from external standards. And we can do that, friends, as a church, as people, right? We look at people from an external standard, and we judge people externally still. And so one of the things that we need to pray is that we don't judge from the outward appearance, friends. We don't judge people from, from, a, from an external standard. One of the things I absolutely hate, I loathe it, ugh, is there, there's this new thing that's going on amongst young people. And it's, and, it's, and it's probably been going on for a while. And I hate it now. I was just telling one of my pastor friends about this. I said, they have, they have all of these videos of these people. Uh, there's a number system. And so they rate themselves on external number system. Are you a five? Are you a 10? Are you a this? And, and it's like a one through 10. And you have young people. You have ladies. You have, you have men. And so they're, they're rating their ability to connect with somebody in a romantic level by a number rating system. I absolutely hate it because your life is more valuable than what you look like, friends. Come on. And if you let somebody put you in that box, then the enemy's got you. But why do we do that? Because we judge externally only. You can have the most good-looking uh, uh, features and be the most disgusting on the inside. How do I know this? It's in Scripture. You guys know this, uh, you guys know this man who was uh, one, of, one of David's sons? His name was Absalom. The Scripture said that man was gorgeous. It says his hair, it says his hair was flowy and beautiful. Seriously, like, have you ever seen, like, like when, I, when, when it ex explains him, I think of, oh, what was the name of that one guy back in the 80s? And he did... Fabio, yes. It's like, I cannot believe it's not butter. You know, like, that's what I think of. I think of like this hunk of a man like, with long, flowy hair. And so this guy, the scripture says like he was gorgeous, like he looked good. But do you know that that man was so nasty on the inside? I mean, seriously, like he killed one of his own brothers. He tried to overthrow his, his father's kingdom. He had sex with all of his father's concubines. I mean, this guy had a nasty heart. Come on, someone. But they looked at him and was like, he's going to be the new king. He, had a, he, he, he grew up following the scripture said that he stole the hearts of the people. Why? Because he was out there manipulating people at the gate talking about some, if you only had somebody that could represent you, if I was king. And he manipulated and he stole their hearts. He looked good on the outside, but on the inside, that dude was nasty looking. Junk. I'm saying this to say this, friends, Christ sees the internal, right? And he judges what's on the inside. And we can, put on a, we can put on the best face. We can make it look like everything's going good. I think there's this, there's this nasty belief in church, like you gotta be perfect. 
you got to have it all together. And I'm going to just thwart that belief and say that's a lie. Hopefully, you realize the church isn't a museum where we elevate and, sh- and display all of the perfects. No, the church is a hospital. We all have broken limbs. <laughs> we all have stuff that Christ is fixing. All of us. Right? He's the, he's the great physician. He's the great surgeon. We're coming in here, getting the x-rayed and, and fixed up. I've always believed that. Problem is, is when you're in the hospital, if you're sitting like, if you're, and this is where the church gets screwed up. If you're in a hospital and you're laying in a, in a bed about, and you're about to get surgery, you can't look at somebody else that's about to get surgery and say, <laughs> hey man, you need to clean up your life. <laughs> right? Like seriously. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, focus on yourself right? Take a good look in the mirror. Jesus taught us that. He's like, why do you try to remove the speck out of your brother's eye and you got this big old Everglade forest in your eye? (laughs) You got the redwood forest growing out of your eye, right? Okay, we got to move on here. Okay, verse 19 here. I love this. Verse 19, the Lord says, he disciplines those he loves. God loves those he disciplines. How many of you guys were raised with a belt across your butt? You guys turned out pretty good, didn't you? <laughs> no, I, absolutely not. You know, um, there's you know there's there's new modern. Uh, uh, parenting, and, and I'm not going to get into all that or whatever, and you can raise your child however you want to to be a productive member of society. That's on you. But I know this. I know for me the belt worked. <laughs> if I messed up and I got the belt, I didn't mess up that way again. I might have messed up other ways, but I didn't do that. Right? And why, why was that? It was the fear of the belt, right? The fear of the paddle. I remember my dad created a paddle. Like, he was out there, and he, like, sawed it and made this pad. Did, your mom did that? So I actually, I actually, um, <laughs> I actually did that. Um, I created a paddle, and then it ended up breaking. I think, I don't know how it broke, but um, <laughs> I called it the rod. <laughs> I wrote on it the rod. <laughs> Remember that, kids? Look at them. They're, like, hiding their face. They're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's talking about this. Remember that? <laughs> it would have been sacrilegious if I had to put like in rod we trust. I mean, you can't, you know, you don't do that. No, it's right. <laughs> no. But for me, for me, it was like I I I liked it more as a scare tactic than actually using it. You know, it's like the the scare of it. Um, seriously, like. Um, but God, when why why do you do that? Because you discipline, right? I don't discipline my kids because I hate them. I want to see them become, you know crack whores out on the street, like, you know what I mean? Like, like seriously, like, like, at the level of your selfish ambition, where would you be at the very end of your level of your selfish ambition? I said, I said what Josh Hesser might look like. Josh Hesser might look like some crackhead in a chicken coop somewhere. Like, if I was to fully engage in the full level of my selfishness and my, uh, my ability to, to, to fully give myself away a to my sin, where would I end up? Maybe dead, maybe, right, in jail, maybe, right, right? You can't look at somebody... 
on the streets and be like, oh man, they, you know, like, like we really got to have compassion. We don't know. Right. And so, um, praise God for discipline, right? Praise God that my parents said, I love you enough to, to bring your life into alignment. And in the same way, Christ has done, he does that with us. Discipline isn't because you're doing something uh, wrong and because of, of, of his hateful, vengeful wrath upon your life. Discipline is you're, you're out of alignment, you're doing something wrong, and I love you, and, and I'm trying to help bring you back into alignment. And so it says God disciplines those he loves. So, friends, the next time you're going through a season of testing, don't take it as, I'm unfit for the kingdom. God doesn't love me. I'm, I'm a, a true screw-up. No, take it as God's challenging his love in your life. And it says, be zealous and repent. What does be zealous mean? What's zealous? Anybody know what zealous is? No one. <laughs> he, said it's like, he said it's like jealous with a Z. <laughs> Passion. Yeah, passionately. On fire. Well, avid. What else? What else is zealous? Persistent, yeah. Yep. We, um... We need to be zealous for the Lord, right? We need to be zealous. It says, and repent. What's repenting mean? Does repentance mean, I'm sorry? I'm sorry, so sorry. What does repentance mean? You guys are amazing, man. Y'all are reading the Bible. I love that. Turning away, right? We used to teach our kids when we were in kids' church that repentance is a, it's a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. So, so repent means not just I'm sorry, it means I know that this action, this lifestyle, this, this habit, that it, it offends you, God, and I want to turn from it. And I'm doing my, my I'm going to walk away from that. It doesn't mean that you don't, you can't stumble in that area again. That's why, the, that's why John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Like, if, like seriously, like friends, again, if you have a habitual sin habit, get some help. Like, don't do it alone. Like, really, like, seriously, right? There's stuff to help you if you have a habitual sin habit, meaning there's a part in your life you keep falling into over and over and over and over again, and then you got the guilt and shame and condemnation, and then you go back to it. Right? Like, like get some accountability, get some help. You may, need to, you may need to get some stuff to help you through that, right? Especially if it's an addiction, right? And don't be ashamed of that. Like, in 20-plus years of ministry, we've walked people through lots of, of, of addictions, and there's stuff we can help right? Like, that's what it's about. Like, like, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. Like, like if you have a bad habit, friends, we're not trying, we're not going to beat you over. I'm like, <laughs> no, friends, like, like, if you really want to get free, then let's do it. Let's go, let's go at it together, right? Come on. Repent. Verse 20, and then he goes on to say, he stands at the door and knocks. <laughs> I said, he doesn't bust in like the police. <laughs> right, he's not going to kick your door down, right? The Lord's a gentleman, right? He gives us free will, right? You're, you're, not, just, you're not just some puppet. If you're not just some like, hey, old Kermit the Frog here. Like, like he doesn't just like make you say, make you do, make you talk, right? Like, like he gives us this beautiful, amazing gift called free will. And we can choose to live and love the Lord or we can choose to not. And so he stands at the door and knocks. And so then we choose to say, yes, Lord, I want you to come into my life. Yes, Lord, I want you to come into my family. 
Yes, Lord, I want you to come into to my household. Yes, Lord, I want you in my marriage. All the way back in the book of Joshua, he says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You can serve the Lord or you can serve the God of the Amorites and Amicalites and all the ites. He says, but as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. He saw the goodness of the Lord. He's like, I'm going to serve that God. I'm going to serve that one that's been there and been faithful. And I've seen all the miracles. And I know he set us free out of bondage. He stands at the door and knocks, right? I mean, seriously, friends, like, I really wasn't looking for God 20 plus years ago. I was just trying to do some community service. <laughs> I'm serious. I wasn't looking for God. He did. He did find me. He started knocking at the door, though, right? Like, I wasn't looking, and then, and I'm like, what is this? Holy Spirit, what is that? I told you guys. I've told, I told you guys. I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, I, I, I told all my friends, all my, uh, my, my weed buddies, I said, dude, you need to come to church with me because you get high for free. Like, I didn't even know what it was. Like, I seriously, like, I didn't know. I'm just, like, talking about raw. Like, I'm like, dude, like, this is crazy. Come to church. I'm like, what church? I'm telling you, there's something about that, you know? Here I am. Still saying yes to him because he knocked and I opened. Praise God for his knock. Can we just take a moment and just thank him for that knock? Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. Mm. And thank you for knocking on the door of the hearts of those in our life that we know need you, God. Amen. All right. One, one, uh, one commentator says this. Um, he says that Christ doesn't knock as like a homeless man <laughs> uh, who's seeking shelter. <laughs> but as the master of the house, expecting alert servants to respond immediately to his signal and welcome his entrance. Wow, huh? Can I say that again? That was kind of cool, huh? One commentator wrote and he said, it's not, when he knocks, it's not like a homeless, transient, seeking shelter, but as the master of the house, expecting alert servants to respond immediately to his signal and welcome his entrance. So he knocks at the door. And he doesn't just knock one time, friends. The Lord is going to continue to knock on the door of your hearts. Isn't that so cool? Like he didn't just like knock on your heart, you let him, and he was like, by the way, uh, thanks for the dinner. We'll see you in heaven, like, right? <laughs> no, he continues to knock because we, we continue to, you know, we, we, we drift. Sheep drift. Why do shepherds have a staff? Sheep drift, right? So we start drifting, and what happens? We don't realize we drift, oh, Lord, kind of out of our house again and shut the door. And he's like, oh, hey, by the way, hey, I'm here again. Here I am. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Sorry, Lord. I was being selfish. I'm back in. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think of how, I mean, how many of you guys have had, and I'm gonna, I'm, I've got one more here and then we're in here. Um, how many of you guys have had people in your life that have done stuff over and over and over again, and you just get retired of it? You're just like, I'm done with this. Like, I cannot take this any longer, Right? Now think of this, the Lord has, is so patient with us, we do things over and over and over and over and over again, and he still knocks. Wow. Wow. How amazing is our God? Oh, man. I'm telling you, man, it's just, our God is so good. 
We need, the, we need people to see the goodness of God. The scripture says the goodness of God, the kindness of God uh, brings men to repentance. His goodness is kindness. Verse 21. And then he goes on to say that the conquerors will reign with Christ. Now, the conquerors have to conquer a few of these things. We talked about this a little earlier. They've got to conquer their spiritual blindness, right? A true conqueror has to, like, they can't see themselves the way they want to see themselves. They've got to change their perspective. They've got to see themselves the way Christ sees them, and they've got to remove the spiritual blinders. Like Paul. Paul was spiritually blind. He's, he's killing and crucifying Christians because he was blind, but he was zealous thinking he was doing the right thing. There are so many people that think they're doing the right thing, and they're not. And then Christ met with him, and then the blinders fell off his eyes, and then he truly saw. Why is it that Paul went the furthest out of all of the other apostles and wrote all of the letters? Because he, he knew he was such a wretched man. So we need to, we need to conquer the, our own spiritual blindness, right? We need to conquer that lukewarm living. Friends, we got we to we we constantly keep our, our hearts on fire. Let the Lord breathe on our hearts and keep that, keep that fire. Keep our acts of righteousness pure and holy, right? Like, like the scripture says that Paul says, he says, I'm afraid that, that the enemy is going to seduce you. He's going to manipulate you and, and pull you away from a, a true and pure, authentic dedication to the Lord. And so we got we to gotta just constantly evaluate ourselves. It kind of reminds me, you know what I think of it? I think of it like a spirit, like a thermometer. Uh, last night, my son was like, I don't feel so good. We put the thermometer up to his head. He was 101 degrees, right? How would we know that unless there was a thermometer? And so, friends, in order for us to know if we're spiritually sick, we got to let the Holy Spirit do the work and, like, do that self-evaluation, right? So we got to conquer spiritual blindness. we got to conquer that lukewarm living. Um, and we, gotta, we can never come to a place where we're like, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm not in need of anything. I'm good. I'm okay. <laughs> good for what? I love that. <laughs> Pastor Bob. I'm going to start calling you Bishop Bob. I am in need of nothing. And then, when, friends, we need to conquer all the shame and nakedness. We need to conquer all these things. So these are three things, and then we're going to end here. Um, friends, a few questions we need to ask ourselves. Number one, friends, are our prior priorities aligned with Christ's priorities? Because that's what he's asking that church. He's like, their, their priorities were you know, uh, having all of this wealth and having all of this status and having all this other stuff. And Christ said, no, really, to be quite honest, you're, those are your priorities, but let me tell you what my priorities are. And so we ask ourselves, are, are our priorities aligned with Christ's priorities? Uh, are riches and wealth um, a priority while we might be lacking spiritual um, disciplines and things of that nature um, where we would even become a bad taste in Christ's mouth? Like, we want to be good. We, you want to be a good taste to the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But what if we're representing him horribly? <laughs> right? Then that's going to leave a bad taste in somebody else's mouth. So, friends, so are our priorities aligned? Number two, friends, are, are we zealous to align with Christ and repent? Like, if you got areas in your life that are biblical sin... Right? We're not talking about we're not talking about things that are um, commandments of man, right? Like didn't like we got over all that stuff, right? Like women can wear makeup in church, right? Like Josh can wear a, a hat and preach in church. Like you can dance before the Lord. Do you know that? You can dance. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not saying that you could dance good. <laughs> Your best attempt. Right? There's like all of these things that the traditions of man that we put on people. We're not talking about that. We're talking about biblical sin, biblical things that we need to turn from. Okay? What the Bible calls sin. Not what somebody will... Did I tell you, I, man, see, I get on all these tangents. Remember, remember when uh, I was a few, maybe it was a few months ago, and I was telling you, I was listening to this guy, and he's preaching all this other stuff, and he was like going, and he was like all passionate, and all this stuff, and he said this in front of a whole, probably thousands of people, because he was at a conference. He was like, if you have a beard, that is not of God. Remember when I told you that? Oh, my goodness, you're kidding. He was like, if you got it, he was like, the oil of the Lord cannot flow from a man with a beard on his face. Is that... Exactly. Excuse me. Right. Exactly. Where is that in the Bible? Right. That's called a tradition of man. Right. Right. (laughs) If If a beard is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Right. The scripture says that they ripped. You have to have facial hair for them to rip the hair off your face. If it's good enough for Christ, it's good enough for me. Right? I mean, see, like, like, there was all these things. Well, men can't have long hair. Samson had long hair. It was actually, it was actually his strength and his covenant. So, again, what did I say? External standards. Lord's checking the heart. So, okay. So, be zealous and repent, right? Repent. Like I said, biblical sin. Not all these things people come up with. That's why you, you, you won't hear us talk about that stuff. Because that's foolishness. And then number three, friends, just open the door, man. If he's knocking, open the door. Don't be afraid. Don't, okay, the, the thing is, is I got to clean up. <laughs> Wait outside, hold on. <laughs> I got to take all these clothes and throw it in the closet real quick. <laughs> I got to pick up all the trash that my dog tore up when he got into the trash when I wasn't looking for five seconds. And we have this thing like, like when Christ is knocking, like, wait, Jesus, let me clean it. No, you know, the, the, the amazing, beautiful, awesome, incredible thing about God is when you open the door, he's going to say, let me clean this up for you. You might be embarrassed. Well, Christ, uh, hold on. He's going to clean up. He's going to clean your house. The scripture, you know, it says he knocks at the, listen to this in the scripture. When it says he knocks at the door, it doesn't say that he's going to come into their house. He says he's going to come into them because he wants to come into our life. He wants to come into our hearts. So friends, if you hear the knock, open the door. Don't ever, don't ever think that, that you're not worthy to open the door. Don't ever come to a place where you're like, man, how can Christ uh, forgive me again? I just keep falling over and over again. Or, or maybe you hear that knock and you're like, oh, that's just really, or whatever. Whatever the lie might be where the enemy would try to stop you from opening the door, always open the door. Always open. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, open that door. Open the door. Let Jesus see it, and he's going to fix it. He's going to do it. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you again, God, for God us concluding the, the letters, the seven letters that you wrote to um, the seven churches. And Lord, and when we look at these, God, we not only see where Christ was bringing uh, correction and repro- reproof to God, a church of the past, God, we look at these things and we see them as ac- applicable, I can't talk, in our life, God, and, and we don't want to be lukewarm, <laughs> God, we don't want to, we don't want we don't want you to 
uh, to look at us and see our works as, as, as invalid or mid or, or anything that, that is not pleasing to you. God, we don't want to, God, live a life where we're deceived and we're thinking we're doing all the right things and we're not. So, Lord, today, God, we, we ask for our lives to be brought into alignment with you, Lord. And, Lord, we want to align our lives with your word. We want to align our lives with your spirit. God, we want to align our lives with your standard, God. And so we ask today, Lord, we ask, God, would you forgive us of our sins? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Lord, we need our land healed, God. We need our sins forgiven. And thank you that you hear our voice, Lord. So, Lord, we just say thank you again for giving us the privilege and opportunity of just taking your word, God, us growing and becoming more like you. Now, friends, I'm going to pray the blessing over you, the one that you guys always want. <laughs> Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. It's beautiful. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. May he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>